Hi, this is Erica Bogan. Thank you for listening to the I Am Spartan podcast with Scott Knowles. I am Scott the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm a Spartan OCR Podcast. How's everybody doing? Have you checked out Monkey Grips on Instagram yet? Go and check out their store, and give him a follow on Instagram, and check out his products. He's got these awesome uh, hanging grips that go around a uh, pull-up bar. You can use them on dumbbells for farmer's carries. Here's why they're great. You can take them off and on super easy. And you just grab it. And I know what everybody's going to say. Well, you could just use towels to do that. Yeah, you can. But they're more difficult to put on and take off. And I guarantee you when you use the towel, you're going to find yourself trying to twist it and adjust your grip a little better. These rope grips just work better. I mean, they're like 30 bucks or less than that. And he has free shipping going on all the time. He also sells liquid chalk. Go and check that out. I always squirt a little bit of liquid chalk on my hands before races because I feel like once they get wet, that chalk helps them dry quicker. So, and like if you're li- if you're lifting weights, you know, throwing around barbells and stuff like that, you know, you can always use a little liquid chalk there too. But go and check him out and follow his Instagram page at least. Do it for me. Um, got a cool episode. It's a little different. It's about Tracy Brower. She has an adventure race company called Possum Jump Adventures. And if you don't know what an adventure race is, if you watch the Eco Challenge that come out during COVID, you know, Ryan Atkins and Rhea Coble did this race. What it is, is it's, it's an ultra event that has to deal with biking, paddling, trekking, trail running, orienteering where you're using a compass. And it's kind of like a different type of ultra challenge. And uh, she puts on these events where they're at like a beginner status where you you can get your foot in the door to see if, if this is something you're interested in. And you'll hear her say that she feels like she, her races are the gateway drug to, be, you know, doing adventure racing. And she's got some really neat races that are here in the southeast, Florida, Georgia, and I think she said South Carolina. But it was a cool interview, and she's got a lot of good stories to tell. And I tried to ask questions as, you know, my listeners might would want to hear. Like, if they were interested in it, I asked a lot of beginner questions. Because to me, it would be a beginner event to me. I know a little bit about it, but I learned a lot during this interview. And I wanted to ask a lot of questions from a beginner status, you know, like what to expect, you know. But anyway, go and check out her Instagram page and check out her website and see some of the races that are up there. And there's more information on her website too as well. And just go give her a follow on her Instagram page, Possum Jump Adventures. You know, she's new. And just give them some love, you know. That's the least we can do out here, you know it. But anyway, here's the interview with Tracy Brower. I hope you enjoy it. Tracy Brower, what is going on today? Hey, I am very excited to be talking to you today, my fellow Georgian, about uh, obstacle course racing and adventure racing and how those two things can overlap. Right. And how so, people can, can avoid joy both sports. <laughs> exactly. And you know, and, and you say that too, but 
Like most people get their foot in the door doing OCR. And then after mm-hmm. they do OCR for a while, they want that next challenge. Like I've got it because I started in like 2015, but I was already running before that. Mm-hmm. But I have a bunch of friends that were around in 2015 that I've become good friends with. And they've a lot of them's gotten over kind of the OCR kick now. And now they're branching off and doing like 100 mile races and stuff like that going into the ultra yeah. scene as well. But uh, before yeah. we, before we get into we all that, tell us oh, a, tell us a little bit about like yourself and like where you're from, and like how you come to start uh, Possum Jump Adventures. Okay, well, I am I'm based in Atlanta, and I actually spent 18 years uh, as a project manager for TV advertising, like TV commercials and things like that. And I finally reached a point where I thought if I had to hear the words inconsistent with the brand profile one more time in a meeting, I was going to jump out the window and flee into the forest. (laughs) So um, I kind of did. Uh, uh, There's a company that's based in North Georgia that was running, had a small adventure race company, and they were going to be on a TV show that... Uh, was going to run on Amazon Prime uh, called Ego Challenge, World's Toughest Race. And they needed someone to sort of mind the store while they were gone and then sort of take over the back of house stuff when they came back because they were trying to grow the company. So I somehow talked my way in there and I spent two and a half years there um, working on putting on adventure races and trail runs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And after about two and a half years, I kind of come to the end of what we could do with that particular team, you know, that they'd grown to a certain point and there really wasn't that much more we could do as a unit. So, um, I stepped down and I was trying to figure out what to do next because, uh, as I always say, um, in, when I talk to people, like I'm, I'm 50 something years old, like I've been driving a desk since I was 22 you know, and I was mm. like, I do not want to go back to a desk job. Right. <laughs> and I didn't, and I did not want to go back to advertising. And, um, and I had really gotten hooked on the excitement of putting on live events. Um, more, more than even just that they were adventurous. It's just the, the concept of putting on these live events and creating these experiences that people could go and do and just have this amazing time. Um, I was really hooked on it and I had a lot of, you know, noodlings and notes in a notebook, uh, that did not suit where I had been working before, mm-hmm. you know, like the location wasn't right or the, you know, it wasn't quite right for the brand or whatever. It was inconsistent with the brand profile. And <laughs> so I kind of took that and ran with it. You know, I started putting on events of my own and, um, you know, when I started out, I, I'm not kidding when I say, like, I was driving for DoorDash and, you know, just putting these things on, you know, completely ad hoc. But I had learned enough um, while I was working at this other company and I had enough project management, you know, background to pull from that the first one, which is our race that's in Savannah every April, was a big hit. We had a really great time. Everybody loved it. And that gave me the confidence to keep going. 
and putting them on. So, so that's kind of my background. I sort of fell into it backwards and fell in love with it and couldn't leave it alone. Um, and I had done an adventure race with the same company uh, before I ever worked there. Uh, that I went into it not completely, not completely prepared. Let's say, mm-hmm. and you know, just got my teeth kicked in. You know, sort of like doing your first OCR, and you just don't know what you're quite what you're up against. And uh, the next thing you know, you're you're at like your fifth obstacle, and you're still doing burpees, and you're like, oh my god, what am I going to do? Right. Um, it was a bit like that, uh, but again, the the excitement of the sport just it just hooked me. I couldn't I couldn't leave it alone. I, I remember getting in my car afterward and calling my friends and being like, okay, I'm never doing that again. I don't know why you lunatics let me sign up for that, but mm-hmm. I'm never doing that again. But then like six weeks later, I was looking for new races to do. I was like, I, I got to do that again. Like nothing is going to challenge me like that ever again. I have to do it again. And yeah, so it just kind of ran from there. Yeah. So I know a lot of people, you know, didn't even know about adventure racing until they saw the uh, eco challenge. And Mm -hmm. if people that are listening didn't see that TV show, an adventure race is typically a race that involves cycling, paddling, like running or hiking, and then Mm -hmm. some orienteering is as well. And, And that's what, you know, the races that you're putting on are, correct? Yes. Yes, yeah, some of most adventure races have the three disciplines. You will occasionally find some that are a duathlon. I put on a duathlon in Croft Park in South Carolina near Spartanburg in the fall every year. Um, that is strictly bike and tr- the trekking part. Right. Because um, I was looking for a way to get more new people into the sport, and the paddling section. It can be a barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. People are nervous about it. Um, my company does not own our own boats. We have to rent them from an outfitter or people have to bring their own boats. Um, so getting the boats can be a little bit difficult. And so I made the decision to put on one that was just a duathlon uh, so people could just come out and try and try it out without having to hassle with the, with the water segment. Right. And it was, and it went really well. Like people really liked it. Um, we had like, I think we had 14 or 15 teams at that event and we had like six of them were completely new, like they'd never done it before. Oh wow! So I was really pleased with that. That worked that, that, you know, worked for people. Um, and now there are a few companies putting on just an adventure track, which is just the trail running part. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a company in, I think it's Virginia that puts one on. And then um, I am going to have one in, august that is like that um but it has the added complication that it is strictly at night it's going to start at sundown and end at dawn and they're gonna trek and run all night um and i kind of pitched it to the park that it's going in as a running only event because i felt like if i told them i wanted to do all three sports all night long they would laugh me out of the room so and that one's in augusta georgia right or close yes, to it's, it. it's uh, Mistletoe State Park, which is very close to Augusta, yes. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. That's a cool park. The people there have been really great. Um, I spend a lot of time talking to various permit authorities, and uh, I've gotten to the point where I can tell within, like, 15 minutes if the permit is, is even doable or not. You can read the room. Um, 
Yeah, kind of read the room, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and that's, that's you know, one of the big stumbling blocks, you know, to putting these things on is to, is to get the permissions and the permits and everything. So, sure. so that one I, I made just the trek. Uh, but yeah, so you will often see, um, you will always see those three disciplines. And then nowadays, you, a lot of times you'll see stuff like stand up paddle boarding mm-hmm. or, um, I saw one really recently that had a skateboarding segment, which I thought was hilarious. That would be my like, jam. I thought that was really <laughs> funny. Um, you know, it was, um, they had just put it in there and I, there's actually one in, um, Alabama every year. Oh shoot. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it's escaped me. And they have a CrossFit course in the middle of it. Oh, like wow. you reach a certain point and you have to like flip a tire and, you know, do a couple of CrossFit things and then you get to run on, you know, so people, people mix them up in different ways, but you do see, um, the biking, the, um, trekking and the paddling, you know, is the standard for them all. And so, and you're, you say that you're the Savannah scramble race. That's kind of like your, your, your flagship event or your biggest event every year. Yeah, that was our, that was my first event. It was the one, the very first one that I ever planned from the bottom, you know, up, I, I started with literally a pet, you know, a pencil drawing and, um, a name of someone at the Savannah city permit office and went from there. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so every inch of it was, was mine. And so, yeah, so that's my flagship because it's, you know, it's kind of my, my precious baby because, <laughs> because I did the whole thing by myself. Well, I was checking out your website and, um, I was checking it out and it was, you know, and you've got it advertised as a 10 hour race, possibly mm-hmm. a 25 K bike ride, a 15 K trick and a five K paddle and mm-hmm. solo prices were starting at 150 and a team is 115 per person. And it can be teams of two, three or four. And those prices were, if you had your own boat, right. Or something like that. Uh, it's $150 per person, uh, whether you're on a team or not. And that obviously covers, you know, all your swag and, you know, finishes metal and stuff like that. The 115 is if you bring your own kayak, because my company is small and we don't have, um, you know, a warehouse full of canoes and kayaks, we have to rent from an outfitter, which is obviously not cheap. So if people bring their own kayak, then... Um, I can cut, you know, a considerable amount off the, off the registration fee. Cause that's one less boat that I have to rent. Right. So you want to hear the outfitter, you know, only has a limited amount of boats as well. So it's to my benefit so to cut that number down as well for him. This is a pretty awesome race deal here because, uh, $150 is about what a Spartan, is almost the price of a Spartan Sprint with no discounts. Oh wow! Yeah, that's yeah, I've, how I've the price is Yeah, I think because you've got all the you've got that extra insurance fee and stuff that you pay at the end after you signed up, and yeah. so yeah, it does add up. Um, and the big difference I think is it's just longer, you know, because yeah. um, you know, for a Spartan you go by distance, but for adventure racing you go by time. Right. So. The hardest thing to explain to people, and it was really hard for me when I first started, is that you don't have a set course. 
you have a window of time mm-hmm. in this case for Savannah, it's um, 10 hours where that morning when you check in, you get your maps, you find out what order the disciplines are going to be in because it's not, it's not an off-road triathlon. Um, you don't do, you know, swim, bike, paddle in the same right every time the way you would at an Ironman. Right. Um, so you find out what order you're going to go in and then you get your maps, which have your checkpoints on it. And if people have watched eco challenge, they know people had to make it to certain checkpoints in certain time frames and so forth for normal adventure racing. There's not really those time cutoffs, but the points are not mandatory. So you can figure out, okay, you know, I, we run it, three miles an hour and we have to get this many checkpoints, blah, blah, blah. You can kind of figure out how much you want to go for. Right. So you sort of, it's a choose your own adventure kind of thing. Like you can decide to run every inch possible of the trekking part, or you can say, I'm just going to get the ones on this Eastern loop. And then I'm going to head towards where the bikes are because, you know, we have X amount of time before the clock runs out and we still have to do the bike part and you sort of triage and, you know, balance what you think you can do. Um, and you can also balance it by what your good, um, what your strengths are, you know, like if you know you're really good on the track, but you don't have great biking skills, you can say, okay, we're going to throw all of our effort into the track. We're going to make sure that we get every single point there. And when it comes to the biking section, we're going to do the best we can and, you know, get in under the, under the, time cap so 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 it's a very flexible way it's kind of cool because no two people have the same race essentially right so so i mean so these these are all of the races that you put on are pretty are are good reason are good races for people that are wanting to get into the sport they're kind of like a good like beginner way to get into this type of races right and it can also be a challenging race like if somebody's wanting to come here and win it too is right yes Yes. I, I like to make the joke that I'm the, uh, my company is the gateway drug right. for adventure racing. Um, I really like getting new people into it and I have no problem, you know, taking phone calls from nervous racers and walking them through what to expect. Like when I showed up at my first one, I was terrified. I honestly, like, I just didn't know what to expect. I was like, God, am I going to, like, am I going to get lost? Am I going to wind up in Alabama? Should I Should I have a machete? Like, I just didn't know. Now, there's a lot more information out there. There's mm-hmm. groups putting on really good live streams. There's people doing YouTube videos. But it is still a weird niche sport that people don't know a lot about. Um, and so I, I kind of pride myself on that, that this is the place that you can come where if you're new, you're not going to you're not going to end your race, you know, getting in your car and going, Oh my God, I'll never do that again. Like I want people to come off my events going, Oh my God, that was awesome. And with the best Instagram, you know, feed in the office on Monday, I can't wait to get their hands on another race. Right. Um, adventure racing has grown really slowly. Hmm. And I think part of that is because, Um, there just aren't that many events that are beginner friendly and that, you know, like all the race directors, I mean, we all have other jobs, like nobody's making a million dollars at this and you have to really be willing to spend the time with people 
you know, on the phone and the day of the event and the day before the event, like one of the calling cards for my events is that we do a mini clinic the day before the night before, you know, after we've I've set the course and done everything else, everybody meets at the picnic pavilion or whatever it is we're using as a start line. And, um, you know, they can come and they can ask me questions and they can show me their packs and they can show me their bikes. And, um, and it's a lot of it is just soothing people's nerves. Like, yeah, you're not going to go out and you're not going to, you know, wind up 200 miles off course and you're not going to have a miserable time and, you know, just regret being here. So that's, that's a big calling card for me. Um, is that, you know, my, my hand is out. Like, if you want to join the sport, I'm here for you. I'm here to help you. So, and I don't know what, um, what that equivalent would be in Spartan or OCR land. Do you know what I mean? Um, I've only done a couple of them, so I don't have a huge background. I have a lot of friends in adventure racing that come from an OCR background. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of crossover people who do both or people who, you know, do it, do OCR and then they come over to adventure racing and whatever. So, yeah. I think it's just that, you know, in adventure racing, there's just a lot of unknowns. I mean, I, like I said, I watched eco challenge and that's, that's pretty much about all I know about it. But when I was thinking of this interview, I I thought of what questions (laughs) would I ask if I was planning to do my first adventure race? Mm -hmm. And you and you were talking to the checkpoints, and I heard in the interview you did with Mike at Obstacle Run Adventures that you know, mm-hmm. like, if in the racing sense, you get more points by each checkpoint that you hit. And right. but if you decide, hey, this is my first event, I just want to be able to finish it. You know, you don't have to hit any of those checkpoints. You just got to be able to stay on the course and find your way to the finish line. Correct. Yes, in theory, you could do that. You could do that. You could do the race and not do a single checkpoint. Right. Um, when I lay out my races, and most directors do this too, because you're kind of building two different races in your head. You know, one for the people who've done it, you know, lots of times, and um, you want to throw some stuff out there that's really challenging or really hard to get to, you know, something that's on the top of, you know, top of a really big rise, and you're, they're going to have to bushwhack to get there or whatever. But then I also have some that, uh, you know, basically people are going to trip over it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an orange and white flag. You can't miss the thing. All right. Um, so that people don't get disheartened, you know, nobody wants to be looking for checkpoints forever, um, out in the bush and, you know, or wherever it is along the side of the stream or whatever, uh, and not find anything and just be like, oh, fuck this. I'm just done. And just get, you know, that's how, yeah. that's how you get people who get to the, the finish line exhausted and never want to do it again you know there has to be stuff for the new people who haven't done it before yeah see because that's the the adventure racing to me the the thing that scares the most to me is the orienteering of the because i mean i've gotten lost on hiking trails where i thought i was going one way and i wasn't trying to follow their markers and i'm thinking yeah with a compass my ass is going to get lost you know (laughs) (laughs) so and and what i wanted to ask is and you said on the interview you did with mike too is that you you've made 
your checkpoints in your races are kind of easier to find. Like it's not something that's, you know, going to be super difficult to find with a compass, correct? Right. Yeah. Our, my stuff is the, the orienteering is probably the least difficult part of it for, really? for my stuff. Um, and I was, when I was talking to Mike, I said, you know, basic knowledge, what you would need to go like hiking or, you know, camping, basic knowledge of how a topographical map works, how a compass works, how to orient a map. Um, and that is stuff that you can learn off of YouTube videos. Honestly, I mean, honestly, when I did my first one, I learned everything. I was in my office, in my little home office at night with YouTube videos and a map of the area that I knew the race was in, mm-hmm. um, you know, and a compass that I had gone out and bought. Um, you know, learning, learning how to orient map, you know, I mean, and I had been, you know, a hiking camping kind of person, but I didn't know how intense it was going to be. So I was trying to be over-prepared. Um, it's not a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. Always better. Right. Right. And then, um, you will see in, uh, other events, you know, more challenging orienteering. Like Mm -hmm. that is, that is part of the skill set that you develop over time. Um, but my race is the orienteering tends to be simpler because again, my calling card is I want to get new people into the sport because here's the thing. um, The demographic in adventure racing is um, it it skews older, you know, like the average adventure racers are, I think it's like 45 to 60, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a huge sport. And all of those people are one injury away from never doing it again. You know what I mean? Or one life, you know, complication away from not doing, never doing it again. And, um, and and we just need to get more people into it, you know? Mm -hmm. And a lot of race directors are sitting down going, how can I make this harder? How can I, you know, because they're trying to challenge those elite teams and that that's, the right thing to do for that, that method, Mm -hmm. you know, that segment of the competitors, but you can't just leave those people behind who are interested in it, but they're just like, all they've done is a triathlon and all they've done is this. And Oh my God, what am I going to do? Like somebody needs to be providing these events or the sport's not going to grow. Um, and so I'm really, that's like my soapbox. Like I'm on it all. (laughs) I'm on the worst. (laughs) I'm on it all the time. Like we have to be building events that these people can go to that. They're not going to be, you know, kicked to the teeth by the end of it. So, so that's kind of my, my little niche as it were, you know, everybody's got a niche. There's, there's a company out in Oregon that puts on these amazing, you know, multi-day, they're called bend racing and they put on these amazing multi-day races and they've got like mountaineering segments and like you're, pad- you're paddling in Puget Sound. Like it's just incredibly intense. It's like a step away from eco challenge because right. they have that. In fact, the team the the company team was at eco challenge. I think they were the first American team to finish, right. but, um, but that's not a beginner thing. No, that's like telling somebody, Oh, I'm going to go to the CrossFit games when they've only stepped into the gym once, you know, or I've run around the block and now I'm going to do the Boston marathon. You can't make, you don't make that jump. Nobody, nobody expects it in any other sport. So why do we expect it in our sport? 
you know, and you don't start out doing a double beast in right. sport in Spartan or what is it, the world's toughest mutter? Right. Mike was talking yeah. about the twenty four hour one. Yeah. Like you don't start out doing that event. You go and you do a little sprint one and you see and then you come off it and you're like, Oh, okay, and your confidence gets built up and then you go out and do those bigger ones. Right. So So Tracy I've decided that, or for anybody that's decided, hey, I want to try this advent- adventure race thing, what should mm-hmm. be the first thing that they do? Uh, sign up for something. Mm-hmm. Because once you sign up, you have the deadline. And, you right. know, deadlines focus the mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, once you're signed up, you're not going to dither. The one thing that I wished I had done more when I was getting ready for my first one was I wish I had run more. Um, because I would have been in better condition, even though I just trekked, you know, the walking portion, I think I, I did like the ultra shuffle, you know, right. where you're like barely moving above running speed. I think I would have done that more because I would have been more comfortable. Um, I would have started working with my mountain bike sooner mm-hmm. because I, I was, I came from a road biking background. Okay. Um, you know, I can lay down 50 miles on, you know, a paved road with no problem, but I got a mountain, I got my hands on my mountain bike, I think a week before, (laughs) (laughs) might've been 10 days. And I was like, but it's a bike. I mean, it'll translate. Yeah. I was completely wrong there. (laughs) Um, so, so I would say work on the bike, you know, as soon as you possibly can. I think there was like a set of girls at the eco challenge that, the Indian sisters that they talked about, like they got their bikes like a week before they left for Fiji and wow. they were, they were miserable. I bet they, were. they were just like, we have never been on these kind of bikes before and they weigh a ton and the balance is different. And yeah, they, they really suffered. And um, not being used to being in the saddle for miles like that. I'm sure they were very sore. Yeah, yes, exactly. So, and actually while we're talking about, the women on the eco challenge, you know, one of the cool things about both OCR and, um, adventure racing is that the women and the men compete on a level field. Like you're competing on the exact same course and there's very few sports where you're doing that. And so that makes it kind of cool. Like you can really, when we did, um, our event in Croft park, just out of Spartanburg, just outside Spartanburg this year, um, our top two finishers were the solo male and the solo female mm-hmm. uh, divisions. I guess the top two, the overall finishers, number one and number two, was the solo male and the solo female. And they finished four minutes apart. Like, she was four minutes behind the guy. Wow. And they were so close. And he was talking, he was like, yeah, she was on my heels the entire <laughs> time. Like, they, the women really do compete on the same level um, in some ways they compete better because they have a little bit more patience with the navigation mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, sometimes guys get really frustrated really quickly mm-hmm. and, um, and, and the women tend to come from a more prepared background. And I don't know if it's this way in OCR, but when eco challenge came out, 
and I was working for another adventure race company, people would be calling and the women would call up and be like, yeah, you know, I've done a couple of Ironmans and I've done a Spartan and, um, you know, I do a lot of trail running. Do you have, do you guys have like, you know, a race that I can, uh, like a shorter race that I can try and, you know, I'd like to get a feel. And I would tell them, you know, blah, 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 give them information. And the, the men would call who had watched Eco Challenge and they'd be like, yeah, so like, my roommate played college basketball uh-huh. um, and I am in a darts league on the weekends. Uh-huh. Can, can we, can we do you like your six day race? Yeah. And I would be like, no, no, <laughs> no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. Um, and that's, that's kind of managing, you know, expectations. Like you don't want to tell somebody, no, please don't sign up for this, you know, expensive event. But at the same time, you don't want somebody to go out there and be like, Oh my God, what have I done? So, but I kind of love that about, um, about adventure racing that, and at a certain level of the game, the teams have to be gender mixed. So they always have to have at least one member of the opposite gender on the team. So you can have, you know, three men, one woman, three women, whatever, you know? Um, and so that's kind of cool that, that everybody is, on the same course and if you are the one female on a three male team you know you are you are competing like right up there with those guys right like, there's no there's no special you know declination for you mm-hmm. so i think that's really amazing like that that pulls like really amazing performances out of people right. they do things that they didn't think they could do and, and i think that's amazing right so, like your race that you have coming up in Savannah, you said you have like a, a mini clinic that Friday. So, is that when everybody mm-hmm. you know comes together? You know, Friday they register, and then the race is on Saturday morning, right? Mm-hmm. The it's- race is on Saturday, and they check in and get their maps. <coughs> Pardon me, pollen starting to get to me. They check in, they get their maps and everything like that on Saturday morning. Okay. Friday afternoon is strictly, um, they can come and hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, you know, if they're new, we can go over their equipment. We can go over, um, you know, what they're planning to do. Sometimes I will bring old maps, mm-hmm. you know, maps from another race yeah. and just show them how the maps work because that is, again, a, something that's kind of quirky with adventure racing. Right. You get this topographical map and if you're not used to how they work, um, that is very mentally draining, trying to figure out the maps. And that's mental energy that you could use the next day having a better race, you know. Right. So, and I have no problem, you know, sitting down and saying, okay, look, this is how this, you know, look at this trail. You can see how people came down this trail and they had a choice of going an Eastern loop or a Western loop to get these trekking points, but the bikes, which they're going to go to eventually are to the West. So some people did both loops because they were feeling strong and they had the time, but people who came later who are more fatigued and have less time left, you know, just did the Western side because that way they're already on the way to the bikes and they don't waste that. You know, they think they can cut that other bit out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the kind of thing that until you've looked at a map and somebody's like kind of walked you through it, it's kind of, it's a little confusing. Right. So do you do like a gear, like a mandatory gear list that they have to bring? Yeah. We have a, 
we have a mandatory gear list. It's not huge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly, you know, they have to have a first aid kit. Right. Um, in fact, we just got, we do a, a raffle at um, the Savannah race and we just got a really nice um, first aid kit donated by my medic for it, which was awesome. But they have to carry, you know, a multi-tool and markers and a first aid kit. And they, almost everybody asks you to carry water purification tablets. Yeah. I don't, none of my races, you don't really need it, but you know, you never know. And things like that. So it's like basic safety stuff, you know, flashlight, headlamp. And you don't want it to, you don't want to make the mandatory gear so heavy, right. you know, cause these people are going to be out there for 10 hours. Right. And, so is, um, is there aid stations like when you transition from like, you know, the mm-hmm. paddle to the trek and stuff like that? Yes. You get you get to what's called a transition area or a TA and that is where you change, you know, switch disciplines. Um sometimes you will do something like you'll ride on your bike to a TA and then you'll go out and do a trekking loop and then you'll pick your bike up again. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes you'll be on the bike you'll be trekking and pick up the bikes and you'll keep the bikes till the end of the race. But you will, um, your gear will always be at that transition area. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to move your stuff. It's, it's very rare that anymore that you see races where people are expected to multiple transition areas. Yeah. Move their stuff. It used to, it used to be a thing back in the day, like way before I was into it, that you had to have a support person and they, and actually I think an eco challenge, they did it that way. Yeah, they did. Where their person had to move the gear right. from station to station. But normally that's not the case. Right. Um, so, you know, the, your stuff is there when you get there. So in, the, in the transition areas, is that like, a self-supported thing like you bring your own food and water or do y'all provide any you know nourishment during the race or is it all on that their own self people are supposed to be completely self-supported but you will almost always find you know and the race director will tell you you know in your your pre-race info what you can expect um you know again if you're doing you know a mountain race in colorado or something you're probably not going to have fully stocked TAs. Yeah. Uh, with my events, we have, you know, coolers with drinks and snacks and stuff, but right. they are expected to bring the majority of their hydration and their okay. food. And to be honest, they, a lot of them prefer to, right. because, um, you know, if you change your race snacks the day of, yeah. like right. everybody's it's had that experience, issues. right? It's mm-hmm. like, bring me my brown pants, Absolutely. you know, <laughs> disaster awaits. Um, you never want to start eating, uh, a lot of new stuff and they go through, we, I usually advise people to do between 150 and 200 calories an hour, right? depending on, and you know, that much of something that's not what you're accustomed to will wreck you. I mean, you know, if you, if you're used to doing gels and there's nothing but power bars, you know, or something, or Doritos, you're, you're not going to be a happy camper. That's right. So, so they do that. And some of the very long races, um, they have a bin, what we call a bin, Mm -hmm. um, where they're allowed to pack extra stuff. And as they get to the TA, the bins are waiting for them there and they can go in and they can get dry stuff, you know? Um, but most of the time for my races anyway, because they're shorter, you don't get that. 
you mm. just you just have to pack it on your back. So um, is, and that's one of the things we go through at um, that mini clinic. Like I, I have them show me, like show me your pack, and and if they have Camelbacks and you know water things, I'm like, listen, put Gatorade mix in that Camelback because you're going to have to carry that weight. Mm-hmm. Like you're required to carry two liters of water, and you're going to need it anyway. Right. Um, get some calories in it because mm-hmm. it's not going to be any heavier, and now you can not now you can cut your pack weight down you know, that's two or three power bars you don't have to carry. Like, yes, it's going to make the car, the camel back a bitch to clean later, but you're going to be happier during the race. So, so so is there any like, like forbidden gear since it is an orienteering race? Can you still wear like a GPS watch? Most races will allow you to wear a GPS watch. If you're only using it to track where you've been, because people love to go back on, you know, Strava or Garmin or, guy or whatever and look where they've been you know what i mean and that is usually acceptable um some race directors may you know outlaw completely but you are not allowed to use any mechanical map finding and some races most races will let you use a bike computer so that you can see how many miles you've gone right um and i think the rationale behind that is because the bike because you just cover so much more ground on a bike, the bike, if you're going to get wildly lost, it's going to be in the bike segment because right. you're just moving, you know, faster. Too fast, you miss something, right? Yeah. Um, you miss a turn and the next thing you know, you're four miles out of the way. Whereas if you know, okay, I have to go six miles before, you know, the road curves east, then at least at that six mile mark, you're looking for that curve. You're not, right. you know, wandering off to, you know, Winter Haven or something and, Next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call and you're 20 miles away and so, I have to go send somebody to pick you up. Um, so that but leads. any kind of GPS, you know, finding on your phone, any kind of, you know, TomTom, MapQuest, you know, right. mechanical device you can't use. Right. That's that's the forbidden stuff. So this kind of leads into my next question. So let's say I need help or um, mm-hmm. lost AF, you know. What do right. I do? Do I call someone or, you know, what, what's that procedure when something like that takes place or I may be hurt or something and need help, got bit right. by a rattlesnake in right. South Georgia? <laughs> or, or you've had, you know, the most common, honestly, is what we call a mechanical, which is when your bike, you know, tears up, your derailleur yeah. breaks or your chain breaks or something and you just can't go on. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So for that when people are signing up, they get a sheet that has, you know, information on it. And it's generally okay. got two or three people's phone numbers, you know, mine and, you know, my two primary assistants or volunteers or whatever. And they, those, those phone numbers are the rescue numbers. Right. Um, if you get food poisoning out on the course and you start puking and you can't finish, you get, somebody gets, um, overheated you know or the opposite you know i worked on an event where we had people who were paddling at night and when they got wet from the paddling people started getting hypothermia you know people started getting really really cold and freaking out um if your bike breaks um you know yeah mauled by a bear whatever the instruction is always listen if there is a serious injury call 911 you know they have on that list there's the information from the nearest hospital and EMS, things like that, Mm -hmm. so that they know where 
um, that help is coming from. Because if, if you're doing a race, you know, and you're, you know, your, your race director can't tell you where those resources are, you should be in that event. Um, because there is, you know, you're on Mike mountain biking. A lot of these races take place in the dark, um, or have a dark segment, right. you know, people can get hurt. Um, and then if it's a non nine one one emergency, you know, somebody's puking, somebody is completely overheated, um, chains broken, can't go further, sprained mm-hmm. your ankle really bad. Then we generally come out and get you. Right. But sometimes we have to tell them that you know, listen where you are. I can't get you. Like all I can do is walk out to you, and that's not going to be much help. You know, if you've got a broken shoulder and you can't go anywhere, yes, we will get out to you and walk you back. Right. But if your bike chain is broken, you're going to have to limp to the next TA or you're going to have to limp to the road crossing. I'll give, you know, if I'm talking to you on the phone, I'm like, look, if you head left down the trail, keep going, you know, from where you are in a quarter of a mile, you're going to find a road crossing and I will send somebody to meet you at that road crossing. Right. And we call those rescues. Okay. Um, when I, when I volunteer at other races, I always love doing rescues because it makes me feel super important. Right. And, um, I go fetch people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's the procedure. From a from a competi- from a competition standpoint, is there an amount of assistance that you're limited to? Like, let's say yes. I've got a flat, you know, and y'all come out and help with that. Does that mean, well, we gave you this much help? That means you're out of the race for the winnings because you couldn't proceed on your own reconnaissance or whatever. Yes. There is, there's, there's sort of a tier is a good way to look at it. Um, you are always allowed to get help, obviously, you know, in some kind of medical emergency or something that's, that's a given. Um, and at that point, like if we're going out to get somebody like that, generally their race is over. Do you know what I mean? Like if you sprain your ankle and you're done, that's not a concern anymore. If, if you're on a three or a four person team, um, if you're on a team and one of your members drops out due to injury, your whole team is no longer competitive. You can still finish the race and people usually do, but they're mm-hmm. not considered competitive. Gotcha. They, they won't be in for any of the awards. Um, you are allowed to get help from another racer or somebody who is not involved in the race gotcha. um, with no penalty. And people do that all the time. Like people get flat, like you said, get a flat, right. change screws up they will ask another team and if the other team can help, they, they almost always will. Um, that's kind of a, an unwritten, there's a lot of camaraderie in the sport anyway, but that's kind of an unwritten rule. Like if you've got a spare and somebody's got a flat, yeah. Okay. Here, take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you get, uh, let me think different races go different ways like sometimes if you get a little bit of help they'll like just dock you yeah we're talking about we're talking about your race every race director yeah every race director is different at my race i don't think i've actually ever had to deal with it so i don't think i have a policy you know i've either had to pick someone up who couldn't go on anymore you know the Mm -hmm. bike chain broke whatever or it was somebody who just needed you know the tiniest bit of help and it didn't it didn't really matter Mm -hmm. you know they needed just just like and unlike <laughs> you would never see this at an Ironman, but um, 
unlike other races, like if you have to go to a store and buy more stuff at an adventure <laughs> race, like you can do that. Like you can walk into McDonald's and buy yourself some food. You can, yeah. there's no, I worked on a race, um, a few years ago where people came out on the Florida trail, um, after like some insane length of hiking and there was a waffle house right there on the road. And then they had to like cross the road and go back and do more hiking. And I swear to God, every team on that event stopped at that waffle house and ate hey, and then went on because it was like a hugely oh. long race. Like the, the 20, 30 minutes it was going to take them to shove a waffle down their face wasn't. And some of them took it to go and like sent hmm. me pictures of them, like shoving the waffles in their face while they were walking. Um, That's funny. so it's weird. It's like you, it, there's, because the races are so long and because you're out doing it on your own. Yeah. Like if you're having trouble with your bike and there's an ACE hardware that you're going past or, you know, or you, you know, you come into a parking lot and there's like a bike shop down the street and you can see it. You get to go there. That's totally fine. Like that's part of the challenge. Like you're figuring it out. That's part of the, <laughs> so it's a little nutty that way. Um, you would never see people in an van like peeling off and, you know, or a tri- triathlon or a whatever peeling off and like stopping at McDonald's for a quick, you know, order of chicken nuggets <laughs> right so, um, so most of your races they're at state parks though right so they wouldn't be anything like that where you'd be in like a metro area would it um savannah is metro has you know because there's a trekking portion that goes through um i try to take everybody through the historic district right because you know, it's super cool and everybody loves it yeah. um the other ones are all pretty um, let me think if any of the other ones, yeah, Black, Black Rivers in the National Forest. Um, so not really, but, um, but you know, at Croft, there's, um, there's a ranger station that's set up for the campsites. You know, they have motorhome camping and, um, stuff like that. So they have a pretty well-stocked ranger station. They have ice cream and, you know, Hmm. all kinds of snacks. And if you are halfway through the race, do they come past, they come past that rate that ranger station because of the way the park is laid out they come past that ranger station like three times and if they want to duck in there and get themselves an ice cream that's mm-hmm. totally fine buy yourself like a bumper sticker it's totally fine mm-hmm. <laughs> um i like to work with state parks because um a they have a permit process in place you know they're designed for events kind of yeah uh as opposed to trying to you know link together savannah is really difficult because i think last year i had like 11 interlocking permits right um that i had to do because every place is you know there's like city and county and they overlap and then this park over here is run by someone else and um that's my most complicated one so if i do it inside a state park i've only got one permit to deal with they have a permit you know process it's not i'm not reinventing the wheel every single time Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's got a boundary. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to worry about people wandering off basically (laughs) as much as I would, um, if they're running through like a series of interlock, interlocking, you know, national forests or something. So I kind of like, again, because my shtick is, you know, you're the new people come to me if you're the new person and I will guide you through this. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to have, you know, them a little encased. Right. So, um, so yeah, that, that's the biggest reason that I use the state parks. Um, 
and it, that doesn't mean that I can do it in every state park. Um, I did, um, my South Carolina race was originally supposed to be in North Carolina and I just, I just couldn't make the, the part, the park that I wanted to use. I just couldn't make the people happy. Like no matter what I submitted and what concessions I was willing to make and whatever, they were just like, eh. And so I finally just gave up and went somewhere, <laughs> went somewhere else, went somewhere where they thought the idea was cool and we just went with it. Um, so, yeah. Are you familiar with, uh, um, the Dirty Spokes company that's up there around North Atlanta area? I know the name, but I don't know anybody from there. But I see their stuff all the time. So yeah. Dirty Spokes, they, they put on they put on trail races, and I think they actually mm-hmm. do a couple of mountain bike races too. Because I think their mm-hmm. team is a mountain bike racing team, and I might be I might be wrong on that. But okay, they do like trail races predominantly are at state parks i want to say mm-hmm. they'll do like a, they'll go through like a winter series and like a summer series races where they do points mm-hmm. between like a shorter distance and a longer distance races and mm-hmm. there might be yeah i know they do stuff at fort yargo i've seen their yeah their stuff out there and they do a lot and there's 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 a couple of them that they do that are like right on some big lakes and uh i mean if they're mm-hmm. already permitting to do for those trail runs it might be a great you know, place to try to put on one of your events as well. Yeah, that's true. I think that um, guy's... you always want to be careful. Like you don't want to step on people's toes. Do you know what I mean? Like if somebody, somebody is working in an area and they have all their stuff there, you don't want to come in and be like, Hey, I'm going to put this on, even though it's technically a little bit different. Like, I really don't want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, the guy that but, runs it, I think his name is Tim. But I mean, I don't think they would care at all as long because they're mm-hmm. all great people. And as, as long as you weren't yeah. trying to do it on the same weekend, they were doing an event because it's like you said, they they do like maybe two races a year at Fort Yargo, you right. know, and, but, uh, you know, yeah, that's a pretty, that's a really pretty park. There's actually, there's a park about two hours, maybe not quite that far north of Chattanooga that I was looking at. It's really pretty. And somebody had told me, oh, this outfitter puts on adventure races there mm. or has in the past and and that park didn't come to fruition this year i i think it might next year because um one of my races is um a one-off like i want to move it every mm-hmm. single year to keep it fresh because if you do the same thing over and over it's just you know it's not as much of an adventure right. um and i and i called i i found out who the the outfitter was there was somebody based in Knoxville and I called them and I was like, listen, I'm thinking about doing this, but somebody told me you're already in there. Are am I going to be mm. stepping on your toes? Cause right. I'm not, I'm just not that guy. I'm not going to do it. And, and the guy was like, no, we haven't done one in like four years. We did them for a while, but they were super high maintenance and we're a mountain biking shop. And we decided, mm. you know, to just fixate on, you know, mountain biking races and events. We don't do the AR anymore. So right. you have at it. And so I was like, great. Mm. Um, but if that guy had told me, yeah, we're in there two times a year and that's kind of our territory, then I would have backed, I would have backed down. Like yeah. th- there's a point where you, there's a point where you're, you're just being a jerk yeah. <laughs> not to, you know, there's like no better way to put that. Like at some point, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if that guy had said, yeah, we, we're in there twice a year and it's a big thing for us, I would have been like, great. I hope you have a fantastic race. I'll come up and run sometime, but I, w- I wouldn't have gone into that park. Yeah, so. uh, hard, hard Labor Creek uh, State Yeah, park. that's a good one. I got the worst case of ticks of my entire life there. Oh, really? 
Oh my god, it was awful. But it's it's a that's a cool park though, it's, and they it's have a big a, um, park, a lake there. Yeah, right. it's a big park, and they have a lake. I've gone yeah. and run those horse trails there a couple of times, and I want to say it was like a sixteen mile, you know, mm-hmm. loop trail. So it was a good trail. Yeah, and there's um there's a beautiful park down by Macon, um, FD Roosevelt. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a fabulous park. I would love to put something on there, but they don't allow biking. Oh. so um i can't i can't figure out how to do something there i thought about doing the night trek one there and i the one that's going in mistletoe and i called i called them and i talked to someone about it and i pitched the idea and the person was like absolutely not uh, there's absolutely no way i'll let you have people trail running in the dark mm. and so i was like okay so there goes that idea but i would still love to use that park because it's a gorgeous park and nobody goes there it's like yeah down southeast of Macon or southwest of Macon, mm-hmm. and nobody's ever heard of it. Nobody's ever been there. You know, um, there's somebody who puts on a trail run. I don't think it's the Dirty Spokes guy. I think it's somebody no, else it's um, who does a trail run there once a year. But but that park is criminally underused uh, for stuff like this. So I'm one of these days I'm going to figure it out <laughs> how to put right. something on there because it's it's gorgeous and I just want to take people down there. Right. But that's kind of the appeal of the adventure racing is that you get to show people um places they've never been or show them in a way that they haven't seen it like Mm. at savannah last year i had two different people who lived in savannah come up to me after the event and say i just saw parts of my own city that i've never i didn't even know existed and i was like that was the best feeling ever you know like i was so happy about it Mm. um because they were like, God, I didn't even know that trail was out there and blah, blah, blah. And now they can go use it, you know, whenever they want. Um, so that's really cool. And because I like the idea of moving my events around, there's actually, there's a fabulous race director in Colorado. Her name is Katie Farrington. And she puts on, oh, her series, I think her series is called Nomad. Mm-hmm. Um, I may be wrong, but but I know her name is Carrie Fink and she's a fabulous race director and she moves her races every single year. She never has them in the same spot twice. She goes out and completely redoes them. And I think that's amazing. I think that kind of commitment to making the events as exciting and new as possible is fantastic. And I want to be like her, you know, and she's like, I want to emulate that model. So I think, um, I think I'll always have the race in Savannah because like we said, you know, it's kind of my precious, but um, but the other ones are going to move around, even though it's more work on the front end for me because I want, and you know, there's worse ways to spend your life than going around to cool parks and looking at stuff and saying, Oh yeah, I could do something with this. You know, <laughs> there's worse ways to spend your time. Um, so, so that is, you know, going to be a thing for me that I move them around and, and keep them really fresh. Right. Okay, so I got a couple more questions about, you know, sure. your races um, specifically. So, like, what happens once the race ends? Uh, everybody is wrapped into ropes and fed to alligators. <laughs> um, At the Florida the races, race. right? Right, yeah. Um, uh, well, we got gators in Savannah, too. Um, although nobody wrote, they're kind of small. Um, <laughs> At the end of the event... Uh, you get to the end, you, you know, you've decided you're, you're done. If you've done, you know, all the legs or if you've done everything you're going to do or your time has run, whatever, you know, um, you're done. 
points get tabulated. Everybody gets, you know, awards and stuff. Our awards, because we're a tiny company, you know, we're not giving out giant trophies or anything. Everybody gets a certificate. Right. Um, we do uh, a Spirit of the Race award, which is a giant stuffed possum mm. that I get off of, like a stuffed animal, you know, uh, that goes to the team that has the best team spirit. Right. Um, and it's, we try to always give it, I try to always give it to somebody who's new mm-hmm. because that, you know, again, cheers them up and they, they love that. Uh, so that's part of it. And then we have a big barbecue. Um, some races will get catering. Some races will get, uh, a food truck and those are, those are all good too. Uh, but I have found, we actually did a barbecue at our first event because we just absolutely couldn't afford anything else. Right. And people loved it. Everybody had a blast. Everybody mm-hmm. had such a good time. So, um, so now that's kind of our mo. Is that you know, at some point during the day, we go clean out you know a local Costco or whatever. And by the time people are finishing, we've got grills fired up, and there's burgers and dogs and Impossible Burgers and salads and stuff, and everybody can like eat and sit around and talk and talk trash and trade stories. And there's a lot of um, camaraderie. Um, between the teams and a lot of people because it's a niche sport you see a lot of the same people all the time mm-hmm. and so people swap out teams you know like i race with team uh whatever you know this time and then next time somebody from chick points comes and races with us because we need a we want a third person and we our usual third is not there so we get somebody from that team or you'll see you know two solos that are racing essentially together um that happens a lot. A lot of times the solos band up during the events because it's, you know, it's fun to have somebody to talk to and, um, or you'll see someone who normally races solo. will just tag along with another team because they know them and whatever. So, so the big barbecue at the end, um, is just super fun for everybody and everybody gets to, you know, meet people. And I hate that word fellowship. It sounds like some, like a church social, but you know, (laughs) Yeah. But have a good time. And then by the time they go home, they're like happy and, you know, they've recovered a little bit. Um, and, and they're, they're in good spirits and they're like, yeah, I can't wait to do this again. Yeah. You know, cause it's always the worst when everybody finishes and they're just like so exhausted that they just limp off to their cars and just yeah. cry quietly on the way home. Um, when I did my first race, this is like a running gag, but I remember leaving and I was so hungry. Like I had been hmm. running around in the forest for eight hours or 10 hours, whatever the hell it was. Right. And all I wanted was Waffle House. Like hmm. all I could think about was going to Waffle House. And I got to the Waffle House and I couldn't get out of my car. I could- physically could not make myself get out of the car because I was so exhausted. And I wound up like driving through McDonald's instead because go I, the drive I through. just didn't have the, the energy <laughs> to walk into Waffle House. And I was so sad. So I try to avoid that with people. I want them to go home, you know, fed and happy and whatever. So what and happens? I buy like way too much food and there's like all this food we have to bring home and stuff. Right. But, so yeah. what happens is the end of the race and like, I'm still wandering my way around and I haven't made it to the finish line yet. Is there a point where I just said, Hey, I didn't make the 10 hours and I just call somebody and they tell me the best way to get back. Is that what happens? No, that, yeah, that does happen. Um, usually we know where people are 
basically, because you're going between TA and TA, right. and everybody has to check in at the TAs. We have lists, you know, um, where they have to check in. They have to turn in their points for the previous segment so we can get a jump on the scoring. Um, so we generally know where people are. Right. Um, you know, if I can, if I'm like, yeah, you know, Team Bob's Burgers hasn't been to the finish line. Call the call the last TA and see what time they went through there. You know, and then we can kind of extrapolate where they are. Uh, if it's really bad, I imagine we would go go find something, like send someone out there. Um, so it, it would just be a case by case thing. But and if you finish after the cutoff, mm-hmm. you're still considered to have finished, but you just get docked some of your points. Right. It's usually like a point for every fifteen minutes. Okay, that you're behind. Um, and yeah, so you know, it's 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 kind of a wild west thing right. sometimes because a lot of times decisions are just made on the fly. But um, but yeah, if you're out there and you're like, and at that point too, we would start calling you because everybody's required to carry their cell phone mm-hmm. um, for safety, right. and because they want to take pictures. You know, if they're going to want to take pictures and everything, mm-hmm. and sometimes they have what are called photo checkpoints, which are. Um, where you have to take a picture of something instead of punching the orienteering thing to prove that you were there. Um, I use that a lot because a lot of my races will go, I I just love history and um, anthropology and stuff. And so a lot of my places will go through like historic cemeteries and things like that. Mm -hmm. You're not going to hang an orienteering flag in a cemetery. Like that's just disrespectful. And you don't want people tromping around in there either. So right. you can use it as a checkpoint and say, listen, you need to take a photo of, you know, the historic marker in front of it. Right. And that's how they get the point for that. So anyway, so they've got their phones with them and we tell them, you know, bring extra, bring a charger, you know, just in case. And so at that point I would start calling, you know, mm-hmm. if you're like half an hour and I don't know where you are, yeah, I'm going to start calling you on the phone. Um, or if you're, you know, doing, you're out on the trek segment and everybody else is done and I haven't seen your team, you know, if it's like the second segment, at that point, I'm going to be concerned, and I'm going to start calling your phone. Right. And start looking for you, sending you text messages, because a lot of people will turn the phone off, but they can still get a text. And um, and I'll start, you know, texting you. Hey, where are you? Yeah. You know, are you okay? I just want, you know, you don't have to come in, but I want to know that you're all right. You haven't, you know, been eaten by bear. So, exactly. you know, stepped in a hole and can't get, you know, can't get back. So that would be sort of the safety protocol there. I don't think I've ever done – I worked on a trail one once where a guy got really seriously lost, and we didn't find him for like four hours. Oh, wow. And we were – That'd yeah, be me. Was, that would be me, bad. Tracy. That would be me. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be <laughs> that, that guy. that was a trail one. Like, it was marked, you know, but he just um, – I think he got really – it started to rain. He got really cold. I think he'd fallen. You know, trail runners fall. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't trail run because I can barely stay vertical as it is. And – uh, like I fall up the stairs on a regular basis. So trail running and me are just not copacetic. And I think that's, he had fallen a couple of times and the second or second time he fell, he got really wet and then he got cold. And then, it, you know, then it was, everything went south from there. And I, I, I remember we had to look for him for quite a while. Right. And it was really unnerving. Like I was really scared. Yeah. Um, but you know, everything was okay in the end, but that uncertainty was really unnerving. I bet. So what so. would you say? I mean, on, on your races, out of the races that you've done, has the finish rate, what has the finish rate been like? 75%, 100%? Uh, 
Uh, it's for my races. It's usually closer to 80, 85. Right. That's um, good. Savannah last year, I think we had one team drop out completely. Cause don't forget if you, let's say you do the bike and the paddle segment, but by the time you do, um, the track segment comes, if that's the order it comes in or whatever, right. You're exhausted and you don't want to do it. Then, Hey, you top out there and you still finish the race. Like right. you're not going to win, but yeah, but you still are considered to have finished. You finished but in terms point. of doing all the segments, I think in Savannah, we were about 80%. I think like three teams didn't do the very last bike loop. Mm. And in Croft, um, the Palmetto possum race, uh, we had one team that dropped out very early, like right after the trek, because one of the members had been sick a couple of weeks before they'd had COVID and they just weren't back up to snuff. Like they had, right. they had hoped they had recovered enough because they hadn't been terribly sick, mm-hmm. but it was just too much, you know? Um, and so they made the decision at the end of the trek. They're like, yeah, we're just not going to go on. And theoretically, you know, the other two guys, and the team could have kept going. They wouldn't have been competitive, but they could have at least, you know, done the event. Yes. Um, but they didn't want to. They're like, nah, we're a team. We want to do it together. You know, they're right. all friends. And, um, so they just dropped. But I think every other team finished. Everybody did all three segments. Um, so, yeah, it, we, have, we have a pretty good success rate. Um, the longer the event is, obviously, the more people start dropping out. Right. Because of exhaustion or injury or mechanical, because, you know, the longer the event is, obviously, the more opportunity there is for something to go wrong with your bike, something to go wrong with your, you know, whatever. Um, So the longer races are where you see we have our first 18 hour race this year mm-hmm. in June. And um, I'll be interested to see what our attrition rate is. But it's nothing like the attrition rate for like trail running. Right. Somebody told me once that for some of those big, long trail runs, like the 100 milers and stuff, the attrition rate's 50%. Like 50% of people just get to a point where they're like, I cannot take another step. I'm done. I I can't do it. You know? So it's not that that high. So nobody's ever, like, pretty much quit because of the orienteering then, right? No. Because, you know, again, the the points aren't mandatory. If you can't find the point, um, we actually have a a rule of thumb in adventure racing. If you've been looking for a point for 20 minutes and you can't find it, just go on, just, just forget it, leave it and go on because you're just going to drive yourself insane with frustration and you're going to cost yourself so much time. Um, and then sometimes stuff goes wrong. Like, um, at this, the Spartanburg, you know, Croft Park race, somebody stole one of the checkpoints. I had been out putting them out for like two days. Oh, man. And one of the very first ones that I did, a lot of times we bike lock them to things. Right. So that they don't steal the orienteering flags. If people don't know what an orienteering flag is, it's an orange and white square of fabric. They're usually about 12 inches by 12 inches. It looks a lot like a dive flag, right. except it's orange instead of red. Okay. Um, looks exactly like a dive flag, in fact, but different color. Um, and this one was way out on a hiking trail. It was like four miles, I think. So I remember like tr- setting it took me forever because I couldn't, it was on a hiking only trail. I couldn't ride my bike. Right. And setting it was forever. And when people start the day of the event, like person after person was coming back and going, and it was on a bridge, like it was easy to find. Hmm. 
it wasn't like hidden in the forest or something. Yeah. And so when people started coming back and saying, Hey, checkpoint four is not there. I was like, then it it walked away. And sure enough, when I went out there, you know, two days later to pick it up, it, it wasn't there, but every single team had the same story. It's like, yeah, we can't find it. And they all took pictures, you know, where they were. That's what we tell them. Like if you're at a point where you think there's supposed to be a flag and it's not there, take a picture because if everybody comes back with that same picture and bitching about that same flag, then that flag got stolen. So that has been, you know, reappropriated for the use of some, somebody who thought they needed it. Um, but if you're the only person who comes back with that photo and everybody else found it, then guess what? <laughs> yeah. You just didn't find it. Mm. Um, and that is also where reading, um, reading the maps, the topographical maps comes into play because you can look at a map and the topographical maps, if people aren't familiar with it, they're the ones that have the concentric circles and they show you elevation. Mm-hmm. So you can look at something and if it's in the middle of a little tiny circle, you know, it's at the top of a hill or a mountain or whatever. Um, right. And if you're looking at it and it's like CP 14 is at the top of, you know, a 1600 foot climb and there's no, trail that you can see there if you're new don't go for that checkpoint just don't do it don't ruin your day because you're gonna have to bushwhack all the way up there and you're gonna be miserable and by the time you come home you're gonna be cut you know by the time you come down you're gonna be cut to ribbons uh, from the brush and just skip that one go for go for one that's like right on the side of the river (laughs) that's easy to get um depending on the length of the race i will often tell people listen plan to get like half of them like, look at your map and figure out which half are the most accessible and go get those. If this is your first race, just, just do it that way and reinforce that you can do it. And then next time, go out and kill yourself and, you know, get that 1,600-foot elevation checkpoint because right. you want to prove that you can do it yourself. But the first time out, you know, they're varied enough that you can you can pull home 50% of the checkpoints and not be utterly miserable. Um, so that's a good you know, rule of thumb as well for finding the checkpoints. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So you, you have five races coming up and the closest yep. one's going to be in April. Three of these races yes. are, uh, a trekking, a paddle and mm-hmm. a biking event. Right. You have the night race, which is only trekking. And then in November you have the mountain bike and the trek without the paddle. So which one of these races do you think would be the best for like, I want to do my first race. This is the best one Uh for a beginner. Or would you say all of them are? Uh, For an absolute beginner, I would say either the Savannah race, which is super beginner friendly in April or the one. Yeah. April 22nd. That's the one that's eight weeks away now. Um, or the one in November, I think it's November 11th, um, in Croft Park. That is the one that is biking and um, checking only, and that and that is a fabulous park too. Um, the staff there are amazing, and it's a absolutely. The first time I drove in there, I couldn't believe how beautiful it was, and it's really underused because it's designed as an equestrian park, um, and a lot of people go there to fish, but that's it because there's a little tiny lake. Um, that one, the way it's laid out, the way the park is laid out, the way the race is laid out, uh, the mountain biking trails are really, really good. They're some of the best mountain biking trails in South Carolina. 
there's that mountain bike project that rates um, trails, and it's like it consistently comes up like number two, number three in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a great one. Um, the 18 hour one is obviously, you know, longer, so it's going to be a little more uh-huh. advanced. And it's, um, I have a friend who's helping me design it. So it's going to be harder because they are a more experienced racer right. than I am. Um, that is, that is kind of the oddest quirk is that I didn't do it for very long before I started putting them on myself. Um, and in a way, I think that gives me an advantage because I can still remember what it was like to be that new person and be terrified, you know, just be like, what the hell have I done? What am I doing here? I need to get back in my car and go home. Right. <laughs> um, especially because my first one, I was solo. Mm-hmm. So, because I didn't know anybody dumb enough to do it with me. Mm. Um, it, it, the urge to get back into the car and go home before I, you know, humiliated myself was really strong. <laughs> so I remember what that was like. And sometimes, you know, when you've been doing it, you know, you, like if you want to learn to swim, you don't you don't call somebody who just came off the Olympics because they're doing it by instinct right. at that point. You know they don't even know how to teach you to to begin to swim properly for competing. You need somebody who can remember how to be that way. And so I can remember when I'm laying out these courses, I've always got it in the back of my mind. Like when I was you know fumbling around like a complete newbie, what would I have done here? Mm. And I think that helps me relate to newer people and bring newer people in because you know I'm, I'm very transparent about the fact that i'm a plus size athlete you know like trail runners and spartan people they're all like thoroughbreds you know i'm like a clydesdale okay and if i can do this stuff you can do this stuff so that being you know, said you said the april race is eight weeks out I, okay let's say out. Let's say I haven't paddled kayak in several years. I haven't been on a bike in several years. Do I still have time to watch some YouTube videos and learn how to use a compass and practice on riding a bike, paddling a kayak, and be able to survive this race coming up in April? Yes. And Savannah Race has the easiest biking of all my events um, because Savannah is on the coast and it's flat. So you can actually do the Savannah race on a hybrid, not if right. you don't have a mountain bike or a gravel bike, you could do it on a gravel bike. <clears throat> um, do y'all provide bikes or do I have to bring my own? Biking. Do I have to bring, do I have to bring my own bike or do y'all have any provided or rentals? Uh, we have a partner bike shop that rents bikes. Sweet. They're called Savannah on wheels. They're amazing. And, uh, they rent, they have a few mountain bikes and then they have hybrids and any one of their bikes that they rent would be suitable, not a road bike. Cause there is some part, some parts where you're, you know, on dirt stuff, but, but any of their hybrids or mountain bikes that they rent would be suitable. And I think some people did do that last year and they also, um, they accept shipped bikes for us because some people will come from out of town and they don't, right. you know, if they're flying, they don't want to take, they'll yeah. just ship it. And they can ship it to Savannah on wheels. Mike there has been amazing for us. Um, They will hold it. They will assemble it for a fee. Mm -hmm. I think last year it was $50. And then you can come by and pick it up. Sweet. Uh, Yeah, which is really nice for people coming out of town. Because Savannah is a big tourist destination. Right, Um, yeah, it is. So a lot of people come for the whole weekend. They bring their family. You know, they get an Airbnb or whatever. uh, And they make a big weekend of it. So, uh if they're coming from out of town, they may not want to 
they want to ship their bike a different way than bringing it on the plane because the plane is so expensive. You know, it's like 150 or 200 dollar fee. I think to bring it on the plane, you can ship it wow. FedEx or UPS Way cheaper. or UP. Yeah, UPS. You don't want to send it post office. Um, much cheaper. So. Okay. So well, we do that. We have um, the bike shop takes those bikes and and again they they rent stuff. They can sell supplies. You know, if you get there and you realize you don't have a pump or you don't have a tube or you can get all that stuff there and they're right there in downtown in historic savannah right on well tracy i'm i'm out of questions but i i wanted to (laughs) ask you about um i saw that there was opportunities on there for volunteers and the perks of being a volunteer and i wanted you to explain that as well yeah um so obviously all of these events and this goes for you know any kind of i'm sure spartans and ocr have a ton of um a ton of volunteers working and, right. uh, you know, trail runs and stuff like that, you know, live and die by their volunteers because they have so many aid stations and stuff. Right. So in adventure racing, it's exactly the same. You know, we need volunteers. A lot of times it's people who have a family member in the race, mm-hmm. you know, husband is racing or wife is racing. So the partner um, will volunteer for the day. Sometimes it's people it's a really great way if you want to do an event, but you're scared to death, you know, come and volunteer at one and then you can see how it works. See how it goes. Yeah. It's a good and idea. You, can, you can sit and look at the maps and, you know, see how the, the trails are, see how the thing is constructed, you know, cause sometimes once you've seen it from the inside, then you can do it so much more easily. I, I wish I had volunteered right. frankly at one. Um, and, but obviously it's a long day. It's a lot of, you know, effort. We try to give out, um, gift certificates to like REI or something afterward. And all of our, um, all of our volunteers get a custom t-shirt. The volunteers get a different t-shirt, not just the race shirt, but, uh, a special volunteer shirt. You know, they get race credits towards other events, um, that they can use to any, anything that we put on and so forth. So yeah, the, the volunteers are a big thing. It's always a quest before each event to get people, um, and sometimes we'll get lucky, like somebody who's been planning to do the race will, you know, realize they can't do it. Like they don't have time to train or they turn an ankle or something and they'll be like, yeah, I'll come, you know. So, so we've been pretty lucky with our volunteers, but we definitely need them. Um, it usually takes me about five or six volunteers to run, run an event. So. Oh, well, that's not too bad. So, yeah. It's not too, too bad. It's not like, you know, a 20 person, right. you know, thing. Um, but, you know, there's some stuff that, like, if you have an event where you're checking in at one point and they pick up the bike somewhere else, somebody's got to drive those bikes over there in a truck, you know, so right. it has to be, they have to be grown-ups, kind of. Right. <laughs> um, although we are actually talking about um, contacting the Boy Scouts in Savannah, because I used to do a road uh, event there every year called the Savannah Century, which was a fabulous ride. Um, and actually, since it's been since the promoter has stopped putting it on, I keep toying with the idea of taking it up myself. I might do it next year right. and putting it on. Um, cause it was really pop. People loved it. But oh, anyway, yeah. um, two of the aid stations for the bike race were run by boy scout troops because they have to get service hours and it's a volunteer thing that they mm-hmm. can do. So I'm going to try and reach out to some of those boy scout troops and see if they want to come and, you know, man an aid station and have a good time for the day. Everybody would love it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everybody would have a really great time seeing all the little Boy Scouts there. It'd be fun. So, well, Tracy, so that might be it. 
I'm out of I'm out of questions here. Um, okay. You, is there anything that you'd like to add or tell people where they can find out more information about your races or if they need to contact you personally? Yeah. Um, obviously, the website is kind of the mothership. It is www.possumjump.com. Uh, possum like the animal, P-O-S-S-U-M. Jump like jump up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh that gives you an overall view of everything we do because I do uh, a couple of other things besides endurance events that I put on, but uh, it will give you information on all of the adventure races. They, the description pages go up a little bit closer to when they open for registration. So you can check out, you know, exactly what's going to be, where it's going to be and stuff like that. Um, we have a Facebook page, possum jump adventures, and an Instagram page, Possum Jump Adventures. Uh, if you prefer one platform over the other, the the content is pretty consistent. You know, it's pretty much the same content on both pages, so you don't have to constantly check both. Um, there's more stuff on the Facebook just because I'm on it more, and sometimes I'll just throw up stuff that I think is interesting. But um, but for the most part, um, the it's pretty consistent across both, so you can find out what you need to do. And, and my... Office number is on the website, so if you have questions, uh, they're welcome. You know, people can call me, and I'll walk them through the process. Because that that sometimes it just takes a person explaining it to you before you under you can really get a grip on it. Especially the concept of that it's not a set course, right? And that you can kind of pick and choose, and that's why you don't exactly know the lengths and blah blah blah. Like that's something that's sometimes you can walk people through that on the phone better than you can do it in an email or something. Right. So, but my email is hello at possumjump.com. So they can always do that too. <laughs> well, cool. Well, Tracy, I appreciate you taking time to tell us about your races and good luck putting yeah, on the races this you. year. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Okay. It was, it was good talking to you. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Tracy again for coming on and telling us about her races. They sound pretty cool. And, uh, you know, once you get tired of doing OCR and you want to look for that next adventure or that next challenge, I mean, this sounds like the, you know, the place to be, you know. It sounds like something that would be more fun to transition to than, say, like a triathlon for me, you know, because a triathlon is kind of all about trying to see how fast you can get it done, you know, after you survive it the first time. And to me, this just seems more like an adventure, you know, searching for the checkpoints and you're doing mountain bikes instead of road bikes. It just sounds, just sounds a little more fun. But anyway, go uh, follow her on Instagram and Facebook, you know, give her some love and also go and check out monkey grips. He uh, sponsored the show today and uh, he's got some cool products. And like I said, I use the rope grips all the time. You know, it's, it's a convenient grip to have in your arsenal and I, if you buy them, you won't regret it. I promise you. Uh, follow uh, my podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, my next race will be Atlanta Trifecta Weekend. It's going to be a fun race. It'll be the first time they've ever had a beast there. I've already heard some rumors about some stuff that's going to take place there. And uh, it's going to be a good weekend. I've never been to Conyers, and it'd be a bad race. So I hope to see you out there. Um, it looked like everybody had a great time at Jacksonville this past weekend. I've got an episode coming out soon at the end of the week about that. I'm going to interview somebody who did the uh, 5K, se- I mean, not 5K, the 3K series, and uh, she run the age group series on Sunday as well. But uh, 
that's all I got, guys. We'll see you next race. Peace.